Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's the Stream Police podcast for June 22nd, 2015. Hello, friends and fellow purveyors of this media wasteland. I am Clint Davis, your host. For this bi-weekly look at uh, some of the things that you should be streaming, some of the things that maybe you should avoid adding to your Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, or uh, any, whatever other queue you've got waiting for you out there, uh, Clint Davis here, the editor-in-chief of OverdueReview.com, also the uh, movie and television writer over there at the website. And as always, I'm going to start off by urging you to go over to the website, check out what we've written. Uh, we've been a little slow on the writing side the last couple of weeks. Um, as I told you a, a couple weeks ago, I uh, fell down the stairs and broke my leg. So I've been kind of laid up and have not been, uh, I guess that should be a reason to write a little bit more. But, man, just haven't had the creative juices flowing so much. But I've been watching a lot of things and, and kind of thinking about a lot of stuff. So I think we're going to have a very good show for you today. Um, now, I don't know what Andy Sedlak's uh, excuse is, but uh, he's our music editor. We're going to hear from him in a little bit. And uh, he should have some recommendations for you for your, your Spotify queue. There's another queue for you, or your RDO queue, whatever uh, it is that you like to listen to your music on. Uh, so welcome into the Stream Police. I want to thank you guys for listening. And uh, I usually start off with the Stogie of the Week. This week, though, I have no cigar. Haven't been able to get out of the house and buy another Stogie since I broke my leg. So there you go. I, I can't convince the wife to go down the, to the cigar shop for me and uh, give her my shopping list of of sticks. So uh, just that's so that's going to be missing today. So if I'm a little bit more on edge, there's the reason. But I do have some some good pain pills in me right now. So actually, I should be a little bit more laid back. Um, I want to start the show today with a, a email from uh, one of our listeners here on the show and reader to the website. Uh, one of our, our buddies named Glenn, and uh, I know Glenn going back years, and he's uh, he's a guy that watches TV and movies about as closely as I do. So. Um, always appreciate when I get an email from him, and um, I'd love to get an email from any of you on uh, some of the things we talk about on the show here, just your thoughts or questions, whatever, maybe a, a title that you have a request you want me to uh, give a look at that uh, maybe you liked it or you didn't like it, and maybe you're wondering what all the fuss is about. I'd, I'd be happy to take that up for you. Uh, my email is theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. Glenn writes in, he says, I'm happy with the concept of rebooting and reviving shows that were gone too soon. That was something we talked about last week. And he mentioned Arrested Development. But he said he thinks the networks have misunderstood what's happening here. He said people want revivals of shows that are gone too soon. Victims of the rating system that networks uh, and ones that networks didn't understand, like Freaks and Geeks or Everwood. He said, I personally don't know of a single person excited for the Heroes reboot. 
I don't know a single person who actually made it to the end of that show um, and just talks about his frustrations with that show. That was something that I went on and on about in our last episode, the fact that NBC is bringing that back. Uh, he said the worst part about a Heroes reboot is that they're going to do a subpar version of Marvel because NBC isn't going to spend the money to make it look good and it's just going to look like a cheap version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, I mean, anything is going to look like a cheap version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, to be honest, Glenn. Even, you know, I watched Agent Carter on ABC, and I, I thought it looked decent, but to me it still felt like a costume shop act version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It just did. Something about the costuming and and something about the, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought that... I thought Haley Atwell did a, a fine job in the in the lead part, and it was a I mean it was a fun enough show. I don't know if the, the character of Peggy Carter is that you know exciting to watch, but um, she is an ass kicker. But you know it's just like what could this story possibly tell us about you know what, what more we need to know about the MCU? But uh, anyways, he, he feels like it's going to be a cheap version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, he, he said uh, also uh, he liked my note about Jurassic Park three. Loved when he watched it as a kid and, re- and really enjoyed when he got the box set recently. And he said he's the only person – I'm the only person that he's heard say that Part 3 was better than Lost World. It's nice to find someone who finally <laughs> agrees with you. Um, well, I appreciate the email, Glenn. And, um, yeah, I mean, I did. I thought Jurassic Park 3 was better than, than uh, Lost World. I mean, not much better. But I thought it was better. I thought it was a better watch. So uh, definitely keep those emails coming. TheClintDavis at gmail.com if you want to write in. And as I said, Glenn, I've already given you my thoughts on the Heroes reboot. So uh, glad to hear somebody else who uh, who agrees because, you know, you always wonder when you come out here and, and make some of these uh, opinions heard that maybe you're the only one who thinks that way. Maybe the rest of the world did want the Heroes reboot. But uh, somehow I did not feel like I was off base. So I'm going to take that one email I got confirming that. That tells me that I'm completely right on the entire public census um, on the Heroes reboot coming back. All right, let's talk about a show that just uh, came back for its third season. Recently, everybody's been talking about it. Your wife or girlfriend has probably been talking about it. Orange is the New Black on Netflix. Now, I've watched this series. I'm not going to say I've watched every single episode because that would be a lie, but I've watched most episodes. Uh, I know the characters pretty well. I know the storylines very well. Um, And uh, yeah, my wife loves the show. A lot, as a lot of people do. And to me, I don't find Orange is the New Black to be particularly engaging. I never have. I've never thought that it was a very mesmerizing show. But I will say, as it goes on, I think it's getting better as a show, week in, week out. I should say year in, year out, because nobody watches these shows weekly. They just ram through the episodes in like 12 uh, hours straight. But I feel like the strength of this show is that it's got an outstanding cast of characters that they've built and a great group of actors that they've got to play them. Um, and that is the best part about Orange is the New Black. It is it is first and foremost an ensemble television series. It is not about – now, the person you see on all the advertisements and that you see on the Netflix banner when you click on it is Taylor Schilling, who plays the main the, – I guess the, the central character, Piper Chapman, the – well-to-do, you know, blonde girl who ends up going to jail at the beginning of the series in the first episode. But she's by far, I feel like, the like worst part of the show. I mean, it's one of the only examples I can think of where a lead character is like your biggest flaw in the series because I don't find her, I don't like her. Um, I don't think that she's, I don't think she's a great actress in this part. I don't think the character is all that good. I mean, I, I just don't, I don't really see what she facilitates in the program either. I mean, she's not really like solving problems or anything for everybody. She's just kind of sometimes whiny, self-absorbed. I mean, really, she doesn't learn many lessons. I mean, it's just kind of, I don't know. 
maybe there'll be some big reveal at the end where she has learned all these things from her time in prison. But I think really what we're learning as an audience is just getting to know these characters every week and getting the flashbacks on what happened to them on the outside. Now, the way that, that Orange is the New Black handles itself is not particularly new because, as I mentioned last week, I love the show Oz. That was one of my all-time favorite TV shows on HBO uh, back in the day. And that was that was about a male prison. It was a, a maximum security. That was a, a tough show, very hard show. Uh, to watch, and very much a, a hard version of what a prison series is. Now, Orange is the New Black is like a soft version of what a prison series is. We've got a, um, it's not minimum security, but it's not maximum security women's prison. Um, I mean, they do have a good bit of freedom, the ladies on the show, and the characters are, are likable. I mean, really, for the most part. Um, and I feel like you really get to feel deep for some of these characters, like Red. Uh, Lorna, the character who's got, who's like the pathological liar, has got the Long Island accent. I really like her a lot. Um, Pusey, she's probably my favorite character on the show. Um, I, I just think they've got a really strong cast um, of characters. But like I said, I mean, I feel like Piper is one of the weakest lead characters on any series that I can think of um, that is considered a great series, and that uh, she's definitely upstaged by the supporting cast that they've that they filled out on this series. They've done a great job with casting. It's uh, it's one of those shows that when you watch the SAG Awards and they give out the ensemble um, awards, that Orange is the New Black and Modern Family are very are very hard to beat as far as your ensemble casts go. Um, I also, I do think it is amazing, though, that they've succeeded in making prison seem like a place that's not so bad. I mean, really, I watched it. I, I watched the show, and, and sometimes I want to be at Litchfield. I mean, I want to be hanging out with these women. I mean, they don't have to. They don't have to go to a nine to five. They don't ha- don't have to make the commute every day. I mean, they wake up. They're pretty much all getting along with each other at this point. There's not people being shanked out in the yard or anything like that. Um, nobody's pricking each other on the fingers with infected AIDS needles as they did on Oz sometimes when they would walk by people. I mean, it's really it's a, it's a pretty nice <laughs> it's a pretty nice place to be actually. Um, but I mean, these characters are outcasts who wouldn't fit in anywhere else. And I feel like this season three, especially, I watched most of season three so far with my wife, uh, about halfway through it, I, I feel like it's made the prison be seem more pleasant this season. Like everyone has found their niche and they're enjoying something, aside from possibly a character named Daya, who's a, a pregnant uh, character. And her storyline raises some very important questions about pregnancy and motherhood. Um, now, there was one great scene that really stuck out to me in the first episode of season three, which was uh, a, an episode where they had Mother's Day at the prison. And this was bringing up a lot of conflicting emotions among some of the women there, some of them who were mothers, others who weren't, some that are estranged from their kids, some whose kids visit sometimes. I mean, it's just it, that's where this show really shows its heart and it gets interesting. But it stays away from being cheesy. And you'll hear that in this scene where a couple of characters talk to each other from the first episode of season three of Orange is the New Black. It's like a whole little graveyard here. Yeah, these are all my unborn babies. She got the Mother's Day blues. Yeah, I'm going to hell. I know it. I mean, even though I was saved and everything, I just... They never even had a chance. Son, gotta let go of that shit. It's easy for you to say. I'm guessing you, you ain't never had to abort nobody. A bold assumption. You ever read a book called Freakonomics? No. They have this chapter in it. Where have all the criminals gone? Over there in that field. (laughs) You know, in the 1990s, crime fell spectacularly, and this book attributes that to the passing of Roe v. Wade. Darkest of 73. The exact opposite, actually. 
I mean, the abortions that occurred after Roe v. Wade, these were children that weren't wanted. Children who, if their mothers had been forced to have them, would have grown up poor and neglected and abused. The three most important ingredients when one is making a felon. But they were never born. So 20 years later, when they would have been of prime crime age, they weren't there. And the crime rate dropped dramatically. What's your point? Well, my point is that you were a meth head, white trash piece of shit, and your children, had they been born, would have been meth head, white trash pieces of shit. So by terminating those pregnancies, you spared society the scourge of your offspring. When you think about it, it's a blessing. Never thought about it that way. Well, maybe you should. Hmm? Maybe you should stop punishing yourself. I mean, what does a good mother do? A good mother does what's best for her children. And maybe what was best for your children was wiping them out before they had to lead miserable f***ing lives. I mean, once again, sharp writing, no punches pulled, and not trying to give you some warm and fuzzy false feeling. Because after all, these ladies are incarcerated and some of them are in for a long, long uh, time. And speaking of Orange is the New Black, uh, one of the things I feel like it really has going for it is I feel like it's got one of the best opening title sequences that I've seen on television in years. I mean, the opening title sequence, uh, a lot of people said was dead in the 90s because shows went away from having like the long, like Cheers had like the minute and a half long song that you knew all the words and it went through the credits very slowly. And I mean, you counted on it every week. Um, it set the show up very nicely. But, but then as shows got shorter and shorter, I mean, now... A half-hour television show is like 21 minutes, if you're lucky, and nine minutes of commercials. So, I mean, you can't waste a minute every week doing your doing your big uh, opening song. So, shows like Orange is the New Black, shows on Netflix, Amazon, on HBO, Showtime, Cinemax, those are going to be the, the best ones for these opening title sequences because they don't have to worry about time. And I think you've noticed that in shows on HBO. Uh, but, yeah, the, the uh, Orange is the New Black opening theme, it's great. It's, it pairs this Regina Spector song that hits very hard right from the opening after you hear the cell door close with these close-up detailed images of these incarcerated women's faces telling you a lot about the show, and, and I feel like that is very crucial in an opening. The animals, the animals, trap, trap, trap till the cages fall. The cages fall, the day is new. And everyone is waiting, waiting on you And you've got time Now, speaking of openings, I feel like everybody loves Breaking Bad. Everybody talks about Breaking Bad all the time, how it was one of the greatest shows ever and all that. And I watch Breaking Bad, and, and I wouldn't call it among my all-time favorite series. It's certainly got its, its big strengths, but uh, that's one of those that I kind of just... I miss the the overall greatness of the series um, sometimes. But one thing I will say about that show is it didn't have a very good opening title sequence. For all the things that it did great, acting, writing, um, the, the universe that it created, it was very strong in those aspects. But I feel like the show missed the chance to have a great opening sequence. It just wasn't that memorable. I mean, think about a time when you've never seen an episode of a particular show. But you caught the opening, and it sucked you in, and it told you what you needed to know to get you interested in the series. And you'd never seen an episode of The Sopranos. But you heard this right at the opening of the show. And you saw Tony Soprano 
driving along the New Jersey Turnpike, driving along the highway, seeing the uh, seeing the Statue of Liberty, seeing uh, seeing the Twin Towers in the background, seeing uh, I mean all, some some of the sights in New Jersey. Him smoking his stogie, pulls up in his driveway. That's the end. Opening titles come up. That's a show that's got you hooked in right from the start. Let's go to another HBO show, one that just debuted last year, but had a great opening uh, title sequence. True Detective. And that was a song that was not written for the show, but was instead pulled out uh, by the show's uh, producers and used for the series. And the images they paired up with it, I mean, just, I, I never, you know when you watch a show, when you binge watch a series, and you always, a lot of times you'll skip through the opening titles after you've seen them a couple times? I never skipped through a single opening title um, on True Detective because I just loved hearing that song and I loved watching the way that they put this opening credit sequence together. That was one of the best. How about the first time you heard this one? Law and Order, arguably uh, the most recognizable instrumental TV theme ever put together by the great Mike Post. Um, Another one that Mike Post did, one of my all-time favorites. How about this one? NYPD Blue, if you didn't know. The sound of the subway, the sound of New York, the drums banging hard, and then you've got that oboe that comes in over top of it letting you know, all right, guys, you're going to actually be able to watch this show, and it's not going to uh, it's not going to be too intense. It's not going to wreck your day completely. There will be some heart here, and that was one of the great things about NYPD Blue. But I really enjoyed the, the uh, opening themes that kind of let you know the mood of the show without even saying anything. They just creep you the hell out. How about the first time you heard the X-Files theme? You knew that something creepy was going to happen on this series. And don't even get me started on this one. This one scared the hell out of me and my wife the first time we ever heard it. Chilling American Horror Story, and uh, they continue to use variations of that theme uh, every year. And the imagery that they paired up with is just uh, even more creepy. So uh, once again, uh, opening title sequences. Uh, I feel like Orange Is the New Black. That is one thing it really has going for it, and that may be one thing that uh, it has been dying in recent years. But I feel like it's been coming back also with the new wave of how we're watching series um, and the, the ways that uh, people are able to stream them. It cuts back on those time constraints, and it allows the opening title sequence to once again become a viable art. Um, and I just have to say, I mean, I, I feel like that is it's crucial, and I'm glad to see them coming back because it can really make the difference between you getting sucked into a show and, and kind of just, you know, just enjoying it but just moving on. All right, I want to shift gears here uh, and go from talking about a prison series to talking about a reality 
competition series. Uh, now, I don't recommend these kind of shows very often. Reality competition shows. I mean, I've only probably liked three of them in my life. One of them would be The Mole back in the day with Anderson Cooper, the first and only season I really count of that one. Um, the other one would probably be The Apprentice in its early days. I haven't watched it in a while. I don't know. It might still be good. But I feel like that show was really good because it, it actually let, it, it made its guests be creative and it made them actually use some of the skills that they had picked up in school and in life to actually like earn a job. Um, and then I would count this show along that as well. NBC's America's Got Talent, which is airing Tuesdays at 8 o'clock right now. I don't know when the time um, – time slot is going to change because eventually they're going to go to a couple nights a week when they start doing vote-offs and everything. But this show, uh, the reason that I like America's Got Talent is because it is great summer viewing. The production values to me are second to none in terms of the promos they cut, the opening of the show each week, and the editing. I mean, really, they spend a lot of time putting this show together, especially in the audition episodes where they're not live. They've made them look really good, especially this year. This is the 10th anniversary of that series. And once again, as I talked a couple weeks ago about American Idol, with this show, it's all about the judges again. And these four personalities are actually fun to watch together. The judges on this series are Mel B., uh, the former Spice Girl. She's got the most expertise in terms of judging talent, but she's actually the least engaging um, on the show. And then you've got Heidi Klum, um, who is just kind of goofy. And, and I mean, she she's not like the Paula Abdul going to just say something nice to you. She's actually pretty harsh sometimes. But, I mean, she is just kind of a goofy personality. Then you got Howie Mandel, who's actually more of the he's, – he's more of the Paula Abdul type. I mean, he'll uh, he'll tell anybody they did a good job. And then you got Howard Stern, who is the uh, kind of the harsh one of the group. But also, uh, he's not just like an asshole like Simon Cowell. I mean, uh, these judges are actually kind of fun to watch together, provided it's not that – that awful, just excruciating, forced fun of them having to hang out and eat lunch together um, when you know that that's not really what's going on. I feel like America's Got Talent is the modern-day gong show. I mean, it's a variety show that borders on a freak show at times. There was a guy last week who was a pain junkie. That was his talent. He sprinkled out a bunch of uh, thumbtacks on the ground, just a bucket full of thumbtacks, took his shirt off, and flopped down on him with his back. And then he flopped down on him with his, uh, with his front. And then he was banging his head on the ground. Thumb, he gets up, thumbtacks are sticking out of his forehead, thumbtacks are sticking out of his back. I mean, they're, they're on his leg. He's got blood dripping down his leg. The judges were mortified, but they voted him through because they wanted to see what could he possibly do next week. I don't think there's any other show that you could do this on apart from well, America's Got Talent. there's lots of shows talent. that have this. There is? No. See? <laughs> I liked it. I'm going to start off with a yes. I'm going to join you in that yes. What do you vote? I got to tell you, you know, you had me laughing, and I think that was the goal. I want to see you again. I'm going to give you your third yes. We'll see you in the next round. Um, they had a guy on there, the regurgitator, who was uh, swallowing coins and then uh, throwing them back up one at a time uh, in, in a selected order. I mean, I don't know how he did it. It was like a magic trick. But um, And then they had an old guy who was like 90 years old. Uh, former strongman who was pulling vehicles with his teeth. I mean, just it's just a fun two hours. And sometimes that's all you need on television. Sometimes we overthink it. We love the deep stuff. We love the shows that make us feel smart and that reinforce our own sense of, uh, I don't know, our own sense of intellectualism. But sometimes on television, you just need a couple hours of fun every night, every, every week, I should say. And America's Got Talent is one of those shows. I would, I would recommend it. Production values are high, and it's a fun watch, man. It's a fun watch. It's on Hulu. It's it's weird how they have it. They've got it on the Hulu website, but they don't have it on the Hulu app. 
Um, and NBC.com's got it as well if you want to watch some of those audition shows. I do recommend those. Those are kind of more fun than watching the actual uh, live broadcast. But it is, it is a fun show to watch uh, all the way through. So uh, there you go. There's a, a couple of uh, shows to talk about here that are streaming now this week. Um, all right, I'm going to go ahead and toss things over to Andy, let him talk about some tunes for a while. Take it away, Mr. Sedlak. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Oh, thank you, Clint. Great to be with you guys once again, and particularly on a week like this. Huge music week. Let me read a few headlines to you, okay? Um, here's one such headline. Blake Shelton saves man stranded by Tropical Storm Bill. <laughs> music journalism built on stories like that. Here's another one. Fifth Harmony. You guys know Fifth Harmony, right? Every day is payday. Swipe my card, then I do Fifth Harmony thinks Oprah should go on the $10 bill. Whew. These are weighty times, my friends. These are weighty times. I'm looking through uh, more headlines. Let's see. How about this one? Selena Gomez reveals good for you cover art. God. Let me tell you. This is... T- <laughs> what? Whatever. Hey, there was one story, though, that uh, got some folks talking last week. Um, you know Donald Trump, right? You're fired. Yeah, yeah, Donald Trump. You know Donald Trump. We scheduled an interview with Mr. Trump several days ago, well before we had any clue the president would make his birth certificate public. Mr. Trump told us this afternoon he wanted to cancel that interview. He accused CNN of being unfair to him in recent days. We don't think that's true, although we are proud of our consistent reporting showing the birther conspiracies to be bogus. Well, he announced his uh, candidacy for for president. This country wants to be president of the United States uh, of America here. I'm not sure why uh, that generates news coverage anymore. It's pretty apparent at this point that voters uh, don't take him seriously. Um, But I guess, you know, I I, I guess it pays to be cartoony. Anyhow, he announced his candidacy and he... um, when he did, he came on stage and there was a certain song playing. It was a song by Neil Young. When Donald Trump listens to Rocket in the Free World, he hears this. He does not hear this. Never get to fall in love, never get to be 
And it is a political thing. We live in a political world. It's hard to separate politics from real life. Um, it, it's not uncommon for an artist to say, have you, even li- <laughs> have you even listened to my song? Have you ever listened to this thing? Anyhow, Neil Young, which is one of music's greatest eccentrics, one of arts, just the art communities, great eccentrics, uh, took to social media, spoke out, and said that Donald Trump was not authorized to use his song, Rockin' in the Free World. And he reminded the public that he is a supporter of Bernie Sanders. Trump's folks claim that he uh, got permission to use the song, but will still find another song, another campaign song, another rallying cry for their candidate. They tried to part uh, amicably. A spokesperson said that Trump likes Neil's music very much. This is not the first time that this has happened. If I'm a Republican candidate, you stick to Kid Rock. You stick to the Allman Brothers. You stick to Hank Jr., Bo Cephas. You stick to Southern Rock. You know, Mitt Romney and Newt Gingrich were both slammed, both criticized, both chastised for using Eye of the Tiger, the song Eye of the Tiger, as a campaign song. So they dropped it, both of them. Gingrich tried it, then Mitt Romney tried it, and they both had to drop the same song. Because <laughs> the creators of the song stepped up and said no. 2008, John McCain couldn't find a campaign song to save his life. Jackson Brown, the Foo Fighters, and John Mellencamp had all asked him to stop using their music. These are not unreasonable men either. Jackson Brown, the Foo Fighters, John Mellencamp. George H.W. Bush got a proverbial smack in the mouth 20 years ago. He started using Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note. Don't worry. Be happy. McFerrin, of course, objected. Be happy. It's just a different reality out there for for uh, Republican candidates, you know, when they try to dip into the music world. Meanwhile, you've got Katy Perry this year offering, literally offering, to write Hillary Clinton a campaign song. Seriously, maybe that, that, that has happened. Still, though, I think I've got the perfect campaign song for Donald Trump. You know who's got money? The guys in Van Halen. Eddie Van Halen gave an interview to Billboard magazine recently. He took a few jabs at frontman David Lee Roth. He's quoted as to saying in the interview that Roth does not want to be my friend. Roth's perception of himself is different than who he is in reality. We're not in our 20s anymore. We're in our 60s. Act like you're 60. I stopped coloring my hair because I know I'm not going to be young again. Speaking about Diamond Dave. Eddie Van Halen also added that a new album is not likely anytime soon. He said it's hard because there are four people in this band and three of us like rock and roll. One of us likes dance music. That used to kind of work, but now Dave doesn't want to come to the table. Meanwhile, Van Halen, they are going back out on tour with David Lee Roth in just a couple weeks. They'll be playing uh, Riverbend in Cincinnati on August 31st. Place your bets. <laughs> Will they make it to August 31st? Will they make their show at Riverbend? It's just a funny time. You know, I, I touched on this a, a few a few weeks ago. It's a funny time in music. Um, 
You know, I, I, so much of this podcast, you know, where Clint, Clint is very good about looking ahead. He's very good about um, sort of, you know, taking a look at shows and, and movies that are coming up and that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and filling you in, letting you know what you need to stream, letting you know uh, what you should look out for. And so I try, you know, I'm, I try to stay plugged into the music community. Um, and so this morning I woke up, uh, I start watching three countdown shows simultaneously. Okay. Uh, one was like, uh, and it's all mainstream stuff. You know, I got, I want to keep my eye on the mainstream. I don't, I don't hate it. You know, I'm very much interested in, I'm very much interested in, in sort of, um, music as it reflects a culture. And that may be looking at it a little too deep, but to a certain degree, pop music is representative, uh, in some fashion of the culture, uh, in which it comes from. It's also representative of business, <laughs> which is, which is when you juxtapose those things, then that that is sort of the present moment in pop culture, uh, in, in in pop music. Um, so anyway, I'm watching three countdown shows simultaneously. One is on VH1, uh, one is on CMT, and another one is on another uh, country uh, channel. I don't know, but it was just like a country countdown. It had some generic title, like country countdown, uh, where they're counting down. You know, the top. Um, uh, mainstream uh, country songs of the week. I mean, I saw uh, Blake Shelton Sangria, and then they, um, which is not a bad song. And then they they cut to these um, uh, hosts, and these hosts are just like like if you could like paint a a picture of like the uh, quintessential country fan with like the ball cap and kind of you know slightly shaven, and they kind of stand you know kind of half to the side, and well they're kind of dry but they're safe. Then there's a girl that comes in, and she's kind of like chipper and cheery and blonde, and got the and she's and she's very again kind of bland but safe, you know. In sports journalism, they would be called jock sniffers, and the term comes from folks that are just uh, enamored with the people they're covering, you know, uh, sports journalists enamored with the athletes that they're covering, and music journalists or TV show hosts enamored with the artist in the. Uh, "Quote unquote stars," um, you know that they're covering because man, they're looking up at these folks, and it's just you know puppy dog eyes, and you know God, tell us why you're great, tell us why you're so great again, and tell us what you did last week, and it was so neat, and tell us why you're, you know, why the the what you're about to drop is the greatest work of your career, and all this other stuff. And I get it, you know, it's 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 promotional stuff basically, but it's just such a celebrity obsessed culture. And I'm watching this stuff and all these songs and they're talking about what's around the corner and pop and just, you know, it's just uninteresting. But, you know, I'm looking for all these things to recommend. I want to recommend, hey, you want to watch for this album or this song or this tour or whatever. And the tour industry is is, uh, booming, but it's expensive. You know, people don't go to all the shows they want to go to just because they can't freaking afford it. Um so as a result, you know, I, I over the past week or so, I've gone back and I've tried to sort of rediscover some albums that were released recently that, fairly recently, relatively recently, that I missed first time around. One of those was Eminem's uh, Marshall Mathers LP2. And I'll tell you, I liked it. How could I not blow? All I do is drop F-bombs. Give my wrath of attack. Rappers are having a rough time, period. Here's a maxi pad. It's actually disastrously bad. For the whack or the masterfully constructing this masterpiece. <laughs> Um, if you are a longtime reader of Overdue Review, then you'll know that um, that I review the first Marshall Mathers LP, um, and the gist of the review 
was that he just seemed very distracted. At that point in his life or in his career, coming off of the Slim Shady LP and and the buzz and the controversy, that's such a weak word, but the controversy it created, he was just very much interested in pissing people off. And I actually think looking back, that served as a distraction uh, for him at that particular moment because the next album, The Eminem Show, was much, much, much better. I think some of that stuff had passed. But anyway, I listened to the Marshall Mathers LP too which came out a few years ago, uh, the huge hit was Monster, which, of course, featured Rihanna on it. I'm friends with the monster, the son of my bed. And the other hit uh, was Rap God. Interesting to listen to as far as technicalities in rapping. Um, it's very it's very good. It's very solid. Then there's a throwback song, which is actually the first single off the album called Berserk that I was never really impressed with. But the album itself is good. Anytime you listen to an Eminem album, um, just because of the, the nature of the artist that you're dealing with, there's going to be air. But I thought there was less air in this release um, than a few than in a few of his more recent. Um, Relapse was almost nothing but air, with a few huge exceptions. 3 A.M. was a was a freaking great song. Beautiful was probably my favorite song that he's ever recorded there's a song called deja vu on that album which is very good and the rest is air um i was really psyched for recovery because i thought that he was focused and it was kind of like him getting back to uh proving himself not afraid was the first single and i thought that was good and i listened to the album and i was surprised at the amount of air in that in that album talking to myself was a great song but there was still a lot of air in that album not not nearly as much in Marshall Mathers LP too. He's back into a kind of a joking mode, kind of the prankster mode, um, and that's sort of part of the part of where the title comes from, the sequel, you know, element to the to the title. Um, and it's a fun listen. I'm telling you that. There's a, a song called "So Much Better" that's awesome. Hey. My life be so much better. If you just drop dead, dead, I was laying in bed last night thinking and this thought just popped in my head. Uh, there's a song that's actually kind of interesting. It's it's a very it's a poignant moment on the album called Headlights, in which he actually apologizes to his mom. The entire song is an apology. Uh, the guy from Fun, the group Fun, Nate something, sings the chorus. Cause mom, you're still beautiful to me. Cause you're my mom. Though far be it from you to be calm. My house was Vietnam, Desert Storm, and both of us put together could form an atomic bomb equivalent to chemical warfare. And forever we could drag this on and on, but agree to. He actually leans on classic rock hooks more than ever. And by the way, this is not a guy who has uh, ever been afraid to lean on classic rock. There's a song called Rhyme or Reason that samples Time of the Season by the Zombies from back in the 60s. Part of Berserk samples uh, The Stroke, of course, by Billy Squire. Also, Fight for Your Right uh, by the Beastie Boys. Um there's a song called So Far. It's actually one of the weaker songs on the album, but it samples Life's Been Good by Joe Walsh. Love Game uh, samples The Game of Love, that old song um, by uh, Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders, again, from the 60s. I'm telling you, if you haven't listened to it and you're a kind of a fan of vintage Eminem, um, I would give it a shot. Rhyme or Reason, again, sampling the zombies, totally works.
Totally works. It's one of the best songs of his career. As long as I'm on the clock, punch this time card, hip hop ain't dying on my clock. And the first song on the record is a song called Bad Guy, which is actually a sequel to Stan. And even a little better than Stan. I'll leave you with that. My friends, it's been a pleasure. It always is. I'll throw it back to Clint, and I'll see you next time, my friends. Peace. All right, Andy, thank you very much. Uh, Once again, I'm Clint Davis, the uh, movies and television editor over at OverdueReview.com. I once again urge you to go over to the website and also to like us on Facebook, Overdue Review, and to uh, follow us on Twitter at Overdue underscore review. Uh, right there and get our, our tweets. Most of our tweets are usually about when we have a, a new post up, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll occasionally give you some short takes on there too. It's hard for either of us to be like short-winded. That's why these podcasts are not five minutes long, and that's why we don't tweet so much because uh, I have kind of a, a natural adversity to, uh, or I should say a natural um, aversion to 140 characters. <laughs> Always been a little long-winded. All right, uh, let's get to a, a news story that I saw this week. I don't want to dwell on this one too much because it's not really about what we usually talk about here, which is streaming movies and television and music. Uh, but uh, I just have to mention, because he's a, he's a director and an actor that I respect the hell out of and that I was named after, for Christ's sakes, uh, Clint Eastwood. He made uh, another bad joke. Uh, this time about uh, Caitlyn Jenner, and um, I, I don't know. I'm not going to give you the joke or anything, but you know, you can look it up. But uh, the only thing I have to say about this is, I, I mean, I, I just want to give an open letter to Clint to tell him to to give up on the dreams of being a stand-up comedian. I mean, he's been a successful politician. He's done very well as a director. He's done very well as an actor. He's won Oscars. Uh, he's done plenty of things. We can give up trying to be the next Jerry Seinfeld, all right? Uh, because you remember in 2012 when he did the empty chair routine thing at the Republican National Convention, and it made him look like some kind of just senile nut job. I mean, this is, like I said, this is the guy I'm named after. His reputation and his legacy means something to me and to legions of fans, but clearly it doesn't mean much to him uh, anymore. He thinks he's just above kind of being uh, being taken down a peg in the media. Uh, I mean, some people, they like the straight-talking old guy routine, but those people are other old people usually and other old white people usually. It's just it's not endearing. And he's made smart, thoughtful movies. I mean, this is not a, a this is not a moronic character in Hollywood history. I mean, this is a guy that's made Mystic River. He made Changeling. He made Bird. He made A Perfect World, one of the most thoughtful movies uh, of the last twenty five years. Uh, I, I was just I was disappointed by that. And like I said, I mean, come on, man. Just you do a lot of things really well. Comedy is is not one of them. You a body hunter? Yeah, he's got to do something for a living these days. Diane ain't much of a living boy. Um, all right, I wanted to mention uh, on Netflix, uh, coming on June uh, 20th is when it actually hit Netflix uh, already, so you can go ahead and add this one to your queue. A movie called Cake that uh, starred Jennifer Aniston. This was a movie that got her some Oscar buzz for the first time in her career earlier, uh, or uh, yeah, I should say earlier this year. She didn't end up getting an Oscar nomination, but uh, I went into the movie not being sure because I was never a huge fan of hers. I wasn't ever, I mean, I liked Friends, but, it, but you know, it wasn't, it wasn't my favorite show of all time, um, and I've just never really been that into her. I mean, she's been in some great things, but I never thought she was really magnetic or anything. But in Cake, she is fantastic. She does a great performance. It was a movie that moved me a lot. She plays this person who goes through, uh, uh, who has chronic pain, 
um, after an accident. And so she keeps herself doped up on pain pills all the time. Maybe I connected with it because of my broken leg. I don't know. Uh, but, she, I mean, she's got this, like a substance abuse problem on these pain pills. And she's very, like, bristly attitude uh, and and, and kind of just, just doesn't really mince words or anything. And, and she does a great job of giving this movie a lot of heart. It's a great performance. Um, it's got a couple of really, really good performances in it, but the movie is hers. And uh, I thought the movie was very strong. I liked Cake a lot. So I would definitely recommend adding that to your uh, to your Netflix queue. And it's not real heavy. I mean, it's a heavy movie, but it's not like one of those that's going to leave you feeling like a shell after you're done watching it. It'll make you, it'll make you feel all right. All right, one final thing I want to mention is uh, Jurassic World. How can I not mention this movie? The Dinosaurs are back, and they're back with freaking vengeance. Uh, the movie opened June 12th to the biggest opening of all time. I was surprised by that. I mean, I knew it was going to be a big hit, but I didn't think it was going to set like that kind of a record. The first movie did extremely well, but I didn't know how into like dinosaurs and stuff people were still going to be. But man, nostalgia goes a long way. I, like many of you guys probably, went out and saw Jurassic World over the weekend. I went in with low expectations, but I have to say I had a blast watching the movie, and I was surprised at how worked up it got me. I'm not even kidding. This was the scariest movie I've seen in theaters in years. I mean, don't let anybody tell you Jurassic World is an action movie. It is a horror movie, pure and simple. you got this unstoppable force stalking people, and there's seemingly no way to bring it down, just like a slasher villain. I mean, the dinosaur in this movie is like Michael Myers or like Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees. It's just a big-ass dinosaur, which I would say is scarier than some guy in a goofy mask. The use of sound effects was flawless. I feel like these guys behind Jurassic World should get an Oscar for the sound direction when uh, that comes up for sound editing and sound mixing. Um, and once again, though, the, the problem with this movie, just like the other Jurassic movies, is that the characters are stock. They're paper thin. Although they did try to make a connection with the youngest kid in the movie. But at the end of the day, Jurassic World is not about characters. It's about a two-hour action sequence with a bunch of badass dinosaurs eating people and, in the end, eating each other. So uh, I, would, I would recommend going out and seeing Jurassic World in theaters. I don't know how great it's going to be on DVD. Now, when I say that I, I give this movie a high recommendation, I'm not putting it on the same plane as I did Mad Max Fury Road, which I thought was a fantastic movie regardless of genre. But Jurassic World for action, for horror... Very good. Got me very worked up. I thought it was scary. I thought it was well done. I thought the the effects looked very good, um, and it was uh, it was it impressed me. It was it was a fun watch. So when I didn't feel like I was having a heart attack, which was actually most of the time I was watching this movie. You're in charge out here. You got to make a lot of tough decisions. It's probably easier to pretend these animals are just numbers on a spreadsheet, but they're not. They're alive. I'm fully aware they're alive. You might have made them in a test tube, but they don't know that. They're thinking. I got to eat. I got to hunt. Coming up down the road here on the Stream Police podcast, we're going to talk about plenty of things. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Crackle, uh, which you, what you may be missing on that free streaming service um, down the road. Also, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, being late to the Roku party, but loving that because I just got one not that long ago. And um, also, I want to talk about a la carte television viewing, which is the future. It seems like PlayStation is finally bringing us that. Sony is. And uh, it's 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 way too late. I mean, it's not way too late, but it's it's a long time coming, I should say. And they owe it to the viewers of television that that 
keep shows going, um, not to jam them up with a bunch of crappy channels nobody wants to watch. And uh, I'm going to prove that coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, so that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Check us out at OverdueReview.com. Follow us at Overdue underscore review and go over there and give us a like on Facebook. Come on, it won't cost you a dime. Overdue Review on Facebook. If you have anything to uh, ask about or request, email me, theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. And then uh, my, my partner, Mr. Sedlak, if you have music recommendations or questions, reach out to him at sedlakjournal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K journal at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Uh, take it easy out there, my friends. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.